very much in common. They speak of a time, in fact, you will find it in the text of John chapter 12, that it literally is the day before, the evening before, if you will, of what we know to be the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. It's also known as, historically, Palm Sunday. Though I'm sure at the time, that signification of Palm Sunday wasn't given to the event, but it's in John chapter 12, we have an interesting event that precedes Jesus coming into Jerusalem, riding on the colt of a donkey. But the text tells us in chapter 11 an interesting point that we dare not overlook. In chapter 11 of John, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. You know the account of that. Jesus gets news of Lazarus' illness while he's with his disciples and his disciples are saying, let's go, let's go take care of the situation. And Jesus said, hold off. God's got something better. And as they are traveling toward the town of Bethany where Lazarus and Mary and Martha live, they then get the news that Lazarus has died. As they are on their way, they are greeted by Mary, saying, where were you? (laughs) You should have been here before he died. But remember, God's got something better going on. Have you ever noticed that in your life? That when when you think, God, you got to show up now because I got something that's really, really racking my ship. And yet he doesn't show up. Just maybe Jesus has something better yet to come. Well, Jesus did. He shows up and he says, show me the tomb. Then he says, roll the stone away. And then finally he says, Lazarus, come forth. How dynamic that must have been at that time that shook even the whole town of Bethany. Because later on in the text, let me read it for you. Over in verse 54 it begins. Therefore, Jesus no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there into country near the wilderness to a city called Ephraim. And there remained with his disciples. And the Passover of the Jews was near, and many went from the country up to Jerusalem, because the Passover to purify themselves. Then they sought Jesus, and spoke among themselves as they stood in the temple. What do you think? That he will not come to the feast? Now both the chief priests and the Pharisees had given a command that if anyone knew where he was, he should report it that they may seize him.
The reason they wanted Jesus is because of what he did just a few days earlier. But here's the other side of the coin. They also wanted Lazarus. They wanted to kill him too. Because later on in John's Gospel, chapter 12, verses 9, 10, and 11, it says that they wanted to put Lazarus to death because on account of him, many Jews literally became followers of Jesus Christ. We've set the stage. Jesus now is withdrawing himself from the public. Up to this point, he was very active in the lives of people. But now he's drawing himself away because, trust you remember last week's sermon, his time had not yet come, his hour had not yet come. And the Jews, the Pharisees, wanted him. They wanted to seize him in order that they may kill him. And yet the time was not yet. But here's Lazarus. They wanted him too. I don't know if you've ever stopped to contemplate that, but this is interesting to me. The fact of it is is they... Lazarus didn't do anything. He got sick and he died. And Jesus brought him back. And because of that event, it tells us that many Jews began to follow Jesus. I'm here to tell you this morning that the world doesn't like what Jesus does in our lives. They would just as soon wipe us out. They would just as soon have us gone from the area in order that they can just go on with their lives. But Jesus had something better to do. That's, not, that's only the introduction, by the way. That's not the thrust of the sermon this morning. But what I do want to share with you is an interesting confrontation that Jesus had, both spiritually and physically, in John chapter 12, verses 1 down to verse 8. Before we get into that, The scene has been set. Now let's ask the Lord to do something great this morning. Let's pray together. Lord, your word is that dynamic. Your word is that truthful. Your word is that precious that it shows us who we really are. We've made mention of the fact that The Pharisees, the religious, the chief priests wanted to get rid of Jesus because he was setting people free and they wanted to keep him bound. The resurrection of Lazarus 
recorded in your precious word was fuel to the fire, to the chief priests. They couldn't stand the fact that you are the resurrection and the life. They, they, they couldn't come alongside that. They were more entrapped in their traditions and things that they thought would please you. But yet, when Jesus showed up, that all changed. It's just like when Jesus showed up in Bethany. He who was once dead became alive. And we read in your word that the purpose of that miracle was so that the witness of God would be on that city of Bethany. That individuals would see and know and understand that Lord God, you are God alone. You are the King of kings and Lord of lords. You are over life and over death. You hold the keys. And Jesus unlocked a door. And the chief priests didn't like it. They sought after to get rid of the, the witness. And Lord, the world has been trying to do that to your resurrection. They've been trying to get rid of the witness. And yet here we are this morning, Lord, gathered under the name that is above all names. That at the name of Jesus, every tongue will confess, whether in heaven or on earth or under the earth, that you are Lord. And we are here because of what you have done for us. Lord, you showed up when we were dead. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. And you showed up and, and named our names when you said, come forth. And through the wonderful gift of grace through faith. And that's believing in you and you alone, O oh Lord Jesus, we have life. He who has the Son has life. And this morning, O oh Lord, as we delve into this wonderful example that you give to us in your word, I pray that our hearts would be opened to what your spirit would say to us today. May you, O oh Lord, receive the honor and the glory, for you alone are worthy. And we got news this morning, too, O oh Lord, that Chad Hauser had to take his daughter Mariah to the emergency room and, and, th and thinking that maybe she slipped and broke her ankle. We don't know yet if all of that is true. We know that she is in the hospital. We don't know if his ankle is broke or bad sprain. But Lord, I, I ask that you would be there ministering as you are here, ministering to us. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would teach us things today. That's what Jesus said you would do. For you would teach us all things. 
teach us this day the important lesson that comes from your word that our hearts would rejoice in the wonder and the glory of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. John chapter 12, verses 1 to 8. Let me read that passage for you. It begins by saying, Then, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was who had been dead, who he, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made a supper. Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointing the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box and he used to take what he was put in it. But Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you have with you always, but me you do not always have. It's interesting in this particular text, we, we find another detail that's not mentioned here in John. It's in the book of Matthew chapter 26 that we realize that this supper didn't happen at Mary and Martha and Lazarus' house. It happened at Simon the leper's house. We can conjecture from there that Simon the leper, whom in Matthew chapter 8, Jesus healed, lived in the same village, Bethany, that Mary, Martha, and Lazarus lived in. And so he's holding a feast, if you will, in recognition of Jesus. Notice the feast takes place on a Saturday. Six days before the Passover, which would have happened on Friday. Jesus has not yet gone into the city of Jerusalem. And Bethany is just about six miles southeast of Jerusalem. He's in the region, he's just not in the city. He's in Bethany. And a supper is going on for him. Notice what's happening. Martha serving. <laughs> That's not different from Martha. Remember there was a time when Jesus was in their house even before Lazarus died. 
that Mary and Martha were going at it. Martha said to Jesus, tell Mary to come and help me. And Jesus said, leave her, it's kind of interesting, he said, leave her alone. For she was at the feet of Jesus, being taught by Jesus. So the scenario hasn't changed much because Martha's serving. She's doing her deal. But notice she's not complaining this time. She don't mind serving Jesus. I wonder how often that I found myself complaining about serving Jesus. None of you have found yourself in that realm, I know, but I have. Why is it, Jesus, that I have to turn the lights off in the men's room when 50 other individuals use that room? Why is it that, and, and it just goes on. And then I get, Jesus gets my attention. Who are you willing to serve? Martha's serving. She's doing the cooking. She's doing the placemats. She's got the candles lit. She's got the deal going on, and she is doing what she wants to do this time, not complaining because she don't mind serving Jesus. But Lazarus is there. Lazarus, most likely just a few days prior to this supper, was once dead, and now he's found. World gave up. Family thought it was over. But he's sitting at the table. He is engaged in this situation. He's found new life. Just like all of you. Jesus called your name one day. You were dead. Yet now you live. Why? Because Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life. And they that believeth in me, Jesus said, even though they were dead, yet shall they live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Yes, Lord. Lazarus is at the table. What was thought once to be impossible now was a reality. And the supper's going on. And then Mary shows up. She shows up with what's called spikenard. I had to do some research about that because I'm not much up on perfumes. I know what my wife likes at Christmas and that's all that I get her. I don't when you walk into them stores and they want to spray you with perfume, I said, no. I know what my lady likes. And that's all I want. So I'm not up on a whole lot of spray stuff. So I had to do some research with spikenard. Spikenard is this. It's, it's made from the root of a plant that only grows in India. 
Amazing. The root of this particular plant is, has thorns on it. How interesting is that? That that was once used to anoint Jesus may very well be later used to be pushed in his brow, thorns. And this particular perfume is considered to represent, as the the author says, the finest ointment that would be equivalent to that of a Tiffany diamond or a gold standard. It's the best. Spikenard had a unique fragrance, and the presence of its aroma was an indication that the very best had been offered. Mary has this box, and in it, in reality, is basically all of her life savings. Because this spikenard, even as Judas tells us, is worth over a lifetime of labor. He said, let's just sell it for 300 denarii. He was cutting it short. It's like having a 1968 Corvette ready to go, probably worth two, three million dollars, and you turn around and sell it to your next door neighbor kid for ten. Judas missed it. This was a life savings. In fact, some commentators even said it was Mary's dowry. This is all she had. And she brought it. Matthew 26 and Mark chapter 14 tells us that it was broken. And she used it to anoint the feet of Jesus. And then she began to wipe Jesus' feet with her hair. When soon a complaint started. And then Jesus says something. This morning I want to give you three insights that I've seen in this passage this morning. The first insight is this. The motives of Mary's acts. What are her motives for doing this? Why would she be willing to spend all of her life savings on one moment at one time? I think the first motive is one of gratitude. A motive of gratitude. She looks across the table and she sees someone sitting there that wasn't too many days before that was laid in a tomb. Lazarus had come home. And she was thankful that Jesus did what no one else could do. She gave of all that she had out of a heart of gratitude. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you brought my brother back from the dead. 
I mean, that's the surface indication. There's another one. The motive of proof. The motive of proof. She knew something that even her, the disciples of Jesus missed. She knew who Jesus really was. She had garnered, maybe by the, by the teachings that she heard from Jesus, maybe by an intervention of, of, of the time of the Holy Spirit, we don't know. But she knew something that, her, that the disciples missed. Even though Jesus, even up to this point, was telling his disciples, I'm going to die. But don't fear, I'm also going to arise again. She may not have been present at the time of when Jesus shared that with his disciples, but she couldn't help but understand and know that this one Jesus needs to be anointed because he's going to die. It was proof from her heart to all that was in that room that when that fragrance was broken and it filled the room it wasn't just that this is the most expensive oil that could ever be purchased in reality she knew that Jesus was going to die she had caught that reality Maybe it was from the words that even Jesus said as he was at the tomb of Lazarus. I'm the resurrection of the life. But in her extravagance, she was telling all in that room, and even as we read this this morning, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he will do what he said he was coming to do. And she laid it out as a proof. But lastly, her motive was also of humility. Counting this particular passage, we also see that Mary's place, when Jesus was in the house, was always at his feet. Martha served, Mary sought. Martha was busy, Mary was listening. And she was willing to place herself, even again, at the most humble place. And that was at the feet of Jesus. She wiped Jesus' feet with her hair. And then the thing about spikenard is it sticks around for a while. It's not this cheap stuff that you buy $10 for a gallon. This stuff stuck around for a while. 
So you can even imagine that as the days followed, and maybe even up to the day when Jesus was crucified on the cross, Mary still had that fragrance in her hair. And she remembered the significance which everybody else missed. The second incident in this particular passage is the disciples murmured, the murmur of the disciples. First of all, there was a murmur of greed. <laughs> Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, the one whom will betray him, said, Why? Why wasn't this taken and sold for 300 denarii? What took Mary her whole life to accumulate? Judas wanted to get rid of it in the cheapest way he could because it says in the text he wanted the money in his pocket because he's a thief. And he would take things and he would purchase things. For his own self. It's a murmur of greed. Reminds me of James chapter 1. Particularly in verse 15. When it says, when lust hath conceived. And bringeth forth sin. And sin when it is finished. Bringeth forth death. John chapter 12, and even as Jesus is instituting the, the Last Supper, Judas goes out and sells him for pieces of silver, not even gold. Pieces of silver. How cheap sin is. That he didn't even think God Jesus was worth gold. Only silver. Sin has a way of cheapening our understanding and wonder of who Jesus Christ is. We'd sell them cheap. If we thought we could get away with it. The second murmur is a murmur of waste. From here you have to go to Matthew 26 and verse, and verse 8. And it says there that. What a waste. That's what the disciples said. What a waste. They missed it. See, what you have in Mary's life and what you have in the disciples' life are two different things. Mary was thinking spiritually. This is Jesus who is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and he deserves it all. And you have the disciples who are thinking physically. What a waste. What a waste. 
In Jesus' words to his disciples when he talks to them about the poor you will always have with you, but you will not have me, will always be with you. He's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 15 and verse 11, where there it says, the poor shall never cease from the land. But the words of Jesus, first of all, are words of compassion. Leave her alone. Leave her alone. You guys, you don't even understand what she's doing. You heard the information, but you haven't come to the realization. Mary heard the information and has come to the realization. In other words, her actions were guided spiritually because she knew what was going on. Jesus said, leave her alone. Words of compassion. Do you know that our arch enemy stands before our God and accuses us? I can't imagine that situation all I know is that what God says through Jesus Christ leave him alone aren't you glad aren't you glad he had words of correction first words of compassion secondly words of correction she has kept this for the day of my burial Disciples, that which you weren't willing to do. Mary stepped up to the plate and accomplished it. Most likely, he knew what was coming by the end of the week. He knew that. And for one moment in time, Jesus became appreciated for who he is. And for one moment in time, Jesus found compassion from someone who felt his compassion. For one short moment of time, Jesus was prominent in all. Because he said to this woman, she's done this, she's kept this for my burial. Leave her alone. And then Jesus gives word of confirmation. You have to go to Mark chapter 14 verses 8 through 9. And you'll see two interesting statements. It says she has done what she could do. She's done what she could do. I didn't ask her to. Jesus didn't show up at Simon the leper's house expecting. He didn't put any prerequisitions. You are invited to a supper in my honor. And by the way, bring spikenard. 
No. She did what she could do. Jesus didn't ask for anything more. That tells me, dear people, that God has given us gifts and talents that all he wants us to do is do that which you can do. Don't look for accolades of something that I've not given you to do. If, if all that you can do is make sure the, the, the pew Bibles and the hymn books and the pew are nice and straight, Jesus says you've done what you can do. If all you can do is hop on a mower and mow the church lawn, you've done all that you can do. If all you can do is be at the soundboard or the the computer that runs the PowerPoint, you've done what you can do. Some of you teach Sunday school, some direct choir, some sing in the choirs, some play the instruments. Jesus says, you've done what you can do. The problem is, is too often churches are filled with disciples who say, what a waste. They were looking for grander things, and Mary focused on the grandest of all, Jesus Christ. Another phrase of John, or Mark chapter 14 is this. She'll be remembered for her actions. Wherever this gospel is preached, this is a memorial for her. I read that and I said, man, what an unbelievable statement that Jesus made. That through all time, when the gospel is preached, it is a memorial to Mary for what she did. Paul tells us twice in the book of 1st and 2nd Corinthians that we will stand before him and give an account of the things that we have done, whether good or bad. We will receive rewards. When you begin to dive into this passage, it's more than just eight verses of writing. It's really this. It all sums up with this one statement. How much is Jesus worth to you? I'll let you ponder that. For Mary, it was everything she had. How much is Jesus worth to you?